Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me. I'm so glad to share this time with you today. At Valley View Friends Church, we are learning how to live as God's people concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. I want to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast so you can always get the next message. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. Dogs are liars. I know, you didn't expect me to say that right off the bat, but you need to hear this. And I I just know this to be true. I love dogs, but they are liars. Our Labrador, our dog that we love very much, Sophie, she talks to us with her eyes. She can talk. She can speak. She can tell us what she's thinking with her eyes. That dog can express love with her eyes, concern, excitement, and exhaustion all through her eyes. More than a few times I've laid down on a Sunday afternoon after worship in the morning and Sunday school, just back home, lunch is done, I lay down and the dog, Sophie, she lays her head across my side and she looks up at me, I I pet her and she stares at me and those eyes say, this is the perfect moment, Dad, don't move, let's stay here all day. Those eyes become very intense and serious when she spots a rabbit in the yard. She can't catch them, but she's certain that she must try. Those eyes express joy when a visitor knocks on our front door. Those eyes say, hello, I am so glad you're here. Pet me. And then she runs around the couch with celebratory circles. But the most frequent message sent by those big brown liquid eyes is a lie. You see, our sweet dog Sophie is a liar. She lies to us all the time. And what is the lie? With her beautiful brown eyes, Sophie pleads her case constantly. Nobody fed me. And I understand why she does this. More than a few times, that dog has looked at Betsy with those sad eyes and that longing look at her bowl and declared, Dad didn't feed me. I'm starving. And she does the same to me. Oh, mom forgot. And so we grab the food scoop and serve her another meal, only to find out that she's been getting second breakfast or second dinner. The dog has gotten quite good at this lie. I believe she's gained the ability to suck in her stomach and her sides to make herself look thinner. And she says, look, dad, I'm wasting away. And lately our dog has gotten more elaborate with the message that she sends with her eyes. I tell you, I'm not exaggerating. I think that dog looks at me and literally says, I haven't been fed all week. It's been so long since I have been fed that I've forgotten what food tastes like. Now, when my mom comes over, The dog goes to her, and she goes, Nani, that's our word for grandma in our our household. Nani, they never feed me. You have to help. Our dog's a liar. Now, Betsy and I have gotten better at seeing through our dog's lies. When she gives us the look, our first response is to ask the other one, Did you feed the dog? Because I think maybe we forgot. And then we go, Oh, yeah, we did. Oh, okay, she's lying. I get it. Now, this has only made Sophie more desperate. She tries to convince with more and more intensity. And sometimes, I think Sophie, our dog, can be very insulting with her plea. A few weeks ago, I was home with the dog. It was breakfast time. I I fed her. 
And I stood there and I watched her eat. She inhaled her food in mere moments. Then she turned and she got a drink, dr- big drink of water out of her bowl. And then she looked at me. And with her eyes, she said, Dad, you forgot to feed me. I haven't eaten in a week. And I'm standing there going, I just fed you. Don't give me the look like you've never eaten before. I wonder if the dog thinks I'm that dumb. Or perhaps she's just that much smarter than I am that she thinks she can outdo me here. Well, the reality is, when it comes to food, I really do think all dogs are liars. They can't help it. And while it's cute that our dog tries so hard to get an extra scoop of kibble, it's ugly when you or I lie. The duplicitousness behind a lie is very disturbing. Sometimes we lie with malicious intent to hide from a consequence, and sometimes all we do is fool ourselves. We don't even realize why we're lying, or that we're even lying. In our text today, John applies that word, liar, to anyone who does not obey God. Now, the congregation he's writing to, it's a divided congregation. There's conflict within it. Some of them believe they've transcended to a spiritual superiority, and obedience is not their concern anymore. They've just got it all figured out, but they're dead wrong. John wants to see these people not torn down and they're just dues. He wants to see them restored and back on the right path with God. So, John wants to get their attention. Nobody wants to be called a liar. And John uses that word. He's saying following Jesus is serious business. Make sure you get it right. And so, neither should we want to deceive ourselves. So, in 1 John, there are signposts. We talked about this last week, all through the letter, usually with the words, this is. And those signposts, God uses those little words to show us important declarations of how we can know that we are following Jesus rightly, that we're not deceiving ourselves, how we can know that the church is healthy and not deceiving itself. And those words, this is show up in our text today, but they're surrounded by other declarations, other claims of how we can know that we're on the right track. So, the signpost is there, but there's other ones to listen for as well. So, let's read our text for today. It's in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to read verses 3 through 9. I know I always feel like reading 1 John's a little like a tongue twister, so just bear with us as we get through this and try to follow those guideposts. Look for them. There's three I want to get your attention to, but only once we hear the word, this is. So, we get, begin now in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever, com- whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message that you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. It is seen in him and in you because darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Did you see the guidepost? Did you hear them? If you're not looking, you might miss them. 
When I was younger, I was a part of the Boy Scouts of America, and I loved going to summer camp. One of the first lessons that I had and all the other first-year campers had in our troop at summer camp was how to identify the trail that led from my troop's campground to the main camp, where all the activities and merit badge classes took place. Now, while other troops slept in the main camp, right in the middle of all the activities, my troop had to hike from our outpost campsite to the main campground campground before we could head to any activities at all. It was actually a good arrangement. The walk was long, but the arrangement was very good. We generally ate better than those who would eat in the main dining hall, and we could lead our own campfire times and have special troop activities. The downside was simple. You had to learn to navigate the trail that led to the main camp, and it was not a straight path. Over the years, shortcuts were added, careless scouts wore inside trails that led to interesting tree stumps or ponds, but not the main camp, and it was easy to take a wrong turn, especially if you didn't know how to identify the main trail. Now, the main trail was marked with something our scoutmaster called trailblazes. These are small spots of paint placed on trees at key points in the trail. And as long as you kept seeing the trailblazes, you knew you were headed in the right direction. Walk too long without spotting one of these trailblazes, and you'd likely gotten off the trail. It was imperative that everyone learn how to spot those trailblazes. Often our hiking trips outside of summer camp would start by learning about what the color of the trailblazes were for that trail, because most trails and scout camps and a lot of the trails that are around our country are marked with trailblazes, and we'd have to learn what do they look like, and do they point you to go left or right? Usually they're white or blue, uh, not usually green. That's kind of tough in a forest. Uh, so if you find yourself on a hiking trail, Look for the trailblazes. It's a mark of paint or maybe a badge that's hung on a tree that lets you know you're headed in the right direction. And hopefully, when you see a trailblaze out in the woods, it will remind you that God has given us trailblazes, or guideposts if you want to call them that, that we can look for to make sure that we're walking with him rightly. So, where are the trailblazes in our text today? Now, there's three of them that we read today. They're found whenever someone makes a claim to be in with God. In verse 3, we read the words, whoever says, I know him. In verse 6, it's the words, whoever claims to live in him. And finally, verse 9 reads, anyone who claims to be in the light. So, there's a claim. I am with God. I, I know God. I live in God. I'm in the light. That claim is followed by the trailblaze, the marker that says, yeah, if you're doing this, then you're doing it rightly. You're on the right path. Each claim expresses a desire to be close to God. John follows each claim with that trailblaze, a marker to help you assess the claim, to know if you're really on the right path. Two of the markers are framed negatively as in a failure to do so. The middle one is positive, and that's the one that I really want us to hear. We're going to spend a lot of time looking at obedience, but the one that makes that, it is, that all of them rotate around is to live as Jesus did. That is so important for us to do as Christians. So, if you want to be certain that you are rightly following God and not fooling yourself, you need trailblazes for the journey. Three such guideposts, trailblazes, are in our passage today. Obeying God's commands, living as Jesus did, and refusing to let hate set your course in life.
So let's look at that first trailblaze right now, that first marker that we, so we can know if we truly are in God, that is obeying God's commands. Now, obedience is something that doesn't come easily to you or to me. Our society is one that is built on free choice, not obedience. And freedom of choice is so deeply valued that even bad choices are venerated in our society. We dare not question a freely made choice. And we value our freedom of choice so deeply that we often confuse a healthy life with the ability to make a free choice at all costs. There are all kinds of choices that we can make that hurt ourselves. Now, uh, John Diefenbaker, Diefenbaker, the 13th Prime Minister of Canada, said this, Freedom is the right to be wrong, not the right to do wrong. He understood, at least, that freedom didn't always mean correctness. Or being right. So sometimes we confuse free choice with being good, being right. We can be perfectly miserable in our choices. And our text today states that choosing to obey or disobey God has consequences. One leads to misery, one leads to joy. Obeying God is a signpost, a trailblaze that we are on the right track. We're going in the right direction in life and in our relationship with God. Peter Forsyth says this, The first duty of every soul is not to find its freedom, but its master. I want to emphasize that obedience does not earn you a good life. It doesn't earn you a relationship with God. It doesn't earn you a spot in heaven. Obedience is not a prerequisite for knowing God. Knowing God Receiving forgiveness for our sins and the promise of salvation is the free gift of God, paid for by the work of Jesus by his death on the cross. Obedience is your response to what Jesus has freely given you. Now, the problem is, is obedience is a word that feels constraining. But it is, in fact, incredibly liberating. Obedience brings vibrancy, life, and what we sometimes describe as being on fire for Jesus. For obedient, it really actually leads to a fire-filled life that's, that's wonderful. Have you ever thought about, have you, have you ever had a thought that you wanted a better relationship with God? Ever ask yourself that question? Oh, man, I really need to get my life, uh, my walk with God to be stronger. I need to, I need, I need to be more on fire for God. If you ever had that thought, what solutions come to your mind when you wonder that? Oh, a lot of us say, well, okay, maybe I need to read the Bible more or pray more or find a good Bible study or listen to an inspiring preacher or attend a moving worship service or have some sort of uplifting experience. And those are all good solutions. But I'm pretty sure most of us, when we say, man, I, I really want to have a stronger walk with God, it, the first thing that pops into our mind is probably not, well, I better obey more. But that's just one thing that John lays out for us. If you want to know that you're walking well in God, you'll see that you are obeying God. We also need to ask the question, what happens if we do not obey God, if you don't obey him? John declares that those who do not obey God, they are liars. I know, there's that uncomfortable accusation again. To be called a liar by John in this, in this biblical text is not a smear of your character. It's not meant to demean you, but to get you to stop 
Stop in your tracks and check for the trailblazers. Are you on the right path or not? If you're if you're a liar, if you're if you've gotten off track, you need to look for the right way. John tells us that disobedience has very real consequences. And that consequence is this. He says the truth is not in us, in you. And that's a big deal. That's more than just messing up and making a mistake. To say the truth is not in us is a very serious thing. I want us to look at a few scripture passages that speak about the tr- what the truth really is. Uh, John chapter 14 verse 6 says this, Jesus answered and said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now think of those words. Jesus says, I am the truth. This is why obedience is such an important trailblaze. Truth is not just right information to comprehend. Truth is Jesus himself. It is very serious to say that truth is not in you. Disobedience damages your relationship with Jesus. It damages your relationship with Jesus. We cannot say that we are close to Jesus and be people who willingly disobey God. Now, there's more. Let's go to John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. And we read these words. It's Jesus speaking. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So, we just read previously that Jesus is the truth, and now we hear that Jesus is sending an advocate, the Holy Spirit, and he calls him the Spirit of Truth. The disobedient life is a life that makes no room for Jesus. It makes no room for the Holy Spirit. It makes no room for even the Father, for that matter. Another scripture. John chapter 4, verse 24 says this, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The very act of worship itself must be done in the spirit and in truth. Worship done rightly is edifying, it's refreshing. How many times have you or someone else described worship as a moving and powerful experience? Wow, the worship was great. I really encountered God. Whenever you fail in obedience, you are stunting your ability to worship God rightly, to encounter Him well in worship. One more scripture about truth. John chapter 8 verse 32 says this, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Mm. The truth will set you free. The truth in us results in true freedom. We often think of obedience as a loss of freedom, but it's the opposite. Obedience is not less, uh, is no less than a matter of life or death. Life with God is something we can have, or spiritual death is something we can have. Here's a story talking about how serious obedience is. Uh, it's a story about Arabian horses, and it's it's fierce, maybe a little uncomfortable, but I think it helps us understand how life-giving obedience can be. Arabian horses go through rigorous training in the deserts of the Middle East. The trainers require absolute obedience from the horses and test them to see if they are completely trained. 
in the final test, it's it's almost beyond endurance of any living thing. The trainers force the horses to do without water for many days, so it's quite desperate. Then the trainer turns them loose, and of course, they start running towards the water. But just as they run to the edge, ready to plunge in and drink, the trainer blows their whistle. The, the horses who have been completely trained and who have learned perfect obedience, they'll stop. They'll turn around and come pacing back to the trainer. And they stand there. They're, they're quivering. They're wanting the water. But they wait in perfect obedience. When the trainer is sure that he has their obedience, he gives them a signal to go back and drink. Now, I know that story seems very severe, but when you are in the trackless desert of Arabia and your life is entrusted to a horse, you'd better have a trained, obedient horse that won't leave you behind. And we must accept God's training and obey Him. It's a life or death matter. What happens when we obey? Well, our love is made complete. That's what we're told. God's love is already complete in us, so what's being made complete is not God's love, but our love. Hmm. Here's a thought. Obedience doesn't make... Obedience does not make your relationship with God. It matures your relationship with God. Obedience does not make your relationship with God. It matures your relationship with God. Obedience is one of the most important trailblazes to look for, to make sure, yeah, we truly are with God the way that we should be. Let's move on to the two other uh, markers or trailblazes. The second one is this, to live as Jesus did. So, the first measure of a relationship with God is obedience. The second is Christ-likeness. This is more than just being loving or nice. Jesus, he was sacrificial. He was a redeemer and a restorer. He gives salvation to the most undeserving at great personal cost. Oh boy, how, if we look at ourselves, I think most of us hesitate to sacrifice if we can't see the value. I don't see it, I'm not willing to give it. There's a story about Queen Mary who made it her practice to visit Scotland every year. She was so loved by the people that she often mingled with them freely without a protective escort. And one afternoon, while walking with some children, she went out farther than she had planned in dark clouds that came up unexpectedly, and so she stopped at a nearby house to borrow an umbrella. If you'll lend me one, she said, when the lady answered the door, I will send it back to you tomorrow. Now, the woman didn't recognize the queen, and she was reluctant to give this stranger her best umbrella, so she handed her one that she intended to throw away. The fabric was torn in several places, and one of its ribs was broken. It was just a junky old umbrella. No big loss if it doesn't come back. The next day, another knock was heard at the door, and the lady opened it, and she was greeted by a royal guard who was holding in her hand the old, tattered umbrella. The queen sent me, he said. She asked me to thank you for loaning her this. For a moment, the woman was stunned, and then she burst into tears. Oh, what an opportunity I missed, she cried. I didn't give the queen my very best. An opportunity missed. Every time that you and I do not live as Jesus did, it is an opportunity missed. Matthew chapter 25 verse 40 says this, The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. We often are unwilling to sacrifice for the least among us because we don't see the value. 
Whenever we serve the least, we're serving Christ. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2 says this, Do not forget to show hospitalities to, to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Mm. How often we are unwilling to help others because we don't see the value, but we might be serving an angel. And beyond all that, we're called to see others the way Jesus saw, sees them. He was utterly consumed with every person's restoration and redemption. How did Jesus live when he walked into his earthly ministry? Well, he obeyed the Father. (laughs) There's that obedience again. His entire earthly ministry, all the way up to the death on the cross, was an act of obedience. Jesus was fierce about sin, fierce about hypocrisy, especially when it came from religious leaders. But Jesus was also compassionate. He cared for every person he encountered who was caught in sin, often of their own making. He restored the sick, he fed the hungry, he welcomed the outcasts. Everything Jesus did was redemptive. He was on a rescue mission. Sometimes I feel like Christians are on a revenge mission. We're obsessed with, I told you so's, and that's what you deserve. I want to share a quote about living like Jesus. It comes from Robert Cleaver Chapman, a uh, minister. He says, There are many who preach Christ, but not so many who live Christ. My great aim will be to live Christ. There are many who preach Christ, but not so many who live Christ. My great aim will be, de- will be to live Christ. I love that quote. It's easy to get wrapped up in our words instead of our living. And our society is becoming impossibly demanding about saying the right things. We dare not say something the wrong way regardless of the message of our actions. And Christians, Christians do this too. We get obsessed with saying the right things as Christians. And I look at Chapman's quote. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't preach Christ. I'm just a Christian. And I I tell people that, you know, what they need to know about Jesus. Well, that's preaching Christ. That's words. Every Christian preaches, whether it's in word or in deed. And I know too many Christians that are obsessed with saying the right words. Instead, be concerned with living as Jesus did. This alone is enough for your efforts. Living as Jesus did can change your family, your workplace, your community, and the whole world. Living as Jesus did is a sacrificial task that gives of yourself so others can see Jesus. There is an admirer who once asked Leonard Bernstein, the celebrated orchestra conductor, what was the hardest instrument to play? And he replied without hesitation, second fiddle. I can always get plenty of first violinists, but to find one who plays second violin with as much enthusiasm or second French horn or second flute, now that's a problem. And and yet, if no one plays second, we have no harmony. We like Jesus, but we often don't want to submit and live like Jesus, but we're called to do so. 
The third trailblaze, the third marker, is refusing to let hate set your course. Remember, John is writing about a church divided. So when he describes in verse 9 a person who hates their brother and sister, he's describing Christians who are angry with one another or who hate one another. Now, you, you don't always have to like your fellow Christian. They may do something that drives you crazy. They may be unwise. You may disagree with them. But hate is something else altogether. Hate for people is a toxic rage that holds within it no forgiveness, no path for redemption, and no love. Hate sees only an enemy instead of redemption. Harry Emerson Fosdick writes this, A man who hates to be slapped on the back packs his coat with TNT and waits for this man who always slaps his back. His idea is that when he hits me, I will get him. I'll blow him up. Hate kills both the person who you hate, but also yourself as well. Hating people is like burning down your own house to get rid of a rat. Christians are not called to be a people of hate or people who hate people. We're not called to see others, especially Christians, as our enemies. Christians who hate are like lightning rods. They draw attention, the attention of everybody nearby to themselves. Instead, our words and our actions should be directing everyone's eyes to Jesus. Perhaps that's why we're called to be Christ-like. Now, you might be thinking, what about the phrase, hate the sin and not the sinner? Aren't we supposed to hate sin? Well, you're right. We are supposed to hate sin. God does not tolerate sin, and we are to do the same. Psalm 97 verse 10, verse 10 says this, Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. So, we are to hate evil, but we're not to hate people. We're not so good at separating hate for sin and hate for people. Almost none of us have thought enough about what it really means and looks like. So be careful when you say, yeah, I'm going to hate the sin and not the sinner. I think a lot of us get tripped up over doing that. Perhaps a way to start is to realize that every human is on the same team. We're all made in God's image. We're all made for God's pleasure and His glory. It's not us versus them. We're all on the same team. Each one of us are caught in the same trap, sin. And the only thing that separates us is grace. And that grace, it's offered to everybody. We need to make more room for the mission of grace and give less authority to hate. Ann Landers says this, Hate is like acid. It can damage the vessel on which it is stored as well as destroy the object on which it is poured. If you find yourself hating people instead of sin... You need to look for the trailblaze, the marker, and get back on the right path. You've strayed. Please, today, do not let hate guide your thoughts. Do not let hate move into your life. Do not let hate be the motivation of your actions. Do not let hate be the beat of your heart. I find that when we fail to live as Jesus did, we give hate an opportunity to move into our lives. Ah, I know. It's not easy. Obeying God's commands, living as Jesus did, and refusing to let hate set your course. It's not easy to do, but don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Keep going. 
In Discipleship Journal, Carol Mayhill tells of a woman who went to a diet center to lose weight. The director took her to a full-length mirror, and on it he outlined a figure and told her, this is what I want you to be like at the end of the program. It was much thinner than she was. Days of intense dieting and exercise followed, and every week the woman would stand in front of the mirror, discouraged because her bulging outline didn't fit the director's ideal, the outline he had drawn on the mirror, but she kept at it. And finally, one day she conformed to the longed-for image. Hmm. Obeying God's commands, living as Jesus did, and refusing to let hate set your course, they're not easy trailblazes to live up to, but they mark the most important trail in the journey of life, a life in God. Verse 6 of our text today uses a Greek word, meno. Meno. And it's simply the word that means abide. Abide or to be in. And Jesus has has made it possible to be in God. That's our goal. Life is good when we are in God, when we meno God, we are in Him. The church is healthy when we stay in God, and meno is a place of confidence and peace. Obedience, Christlikeness, and loving your fellow Christians are the daily reminders that you are, yes, abiding in God. Some days it's going to feel like you fail at each one. Don't give up. Keep measuring your walk with God by these trailblazes, and each day, by God's power, you will get better and better at it. And then one day you will realize that, yes, I am living as Jesus did. Let's pray. Lord, help us to live as Jesus did. Obedience is not our native language, but we know it's essential to our spiritual health. Help each one of us to live each day a little bit more like Jesus. And let it be said of each one of us that our lives helped others to see Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.